Welcome to Cheaper Than Therapy, a podcast that journeys into conversations with the intention of demystifying, destigmatizing, and desensitizing what really gets talked about behind the closed doors of the therapy room. I'm Vanessa Bennett. And I'm Danae Selkin. And we're seekers, soul sisters, and holders of sacred space. So join us as we dive into the ways that therapy can be connecting not only to yourself, but also to those around you. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. We are so excited to bring you another one of our lightning Zoom coaching sessions. Today we have Pat and Pat came to us with a question about trauma bonding. Yeah, he specifically wrote in about trauma bonding, but then when we started talking, it turned out that, you know, as as always is the case, there's kind of so much more underneath. Mm -hmm. You know, he had been in a relationship or uh, sounds like he had been pursuing a relationship with somebody who turned out that she was in a relationship with somebody else. While that was kind of like the top level, I think what we ended up talking a lot about was how codependency plays so much into this idea of trauma bonding. And mm. um, I think for him too, it, it was a lot about, especially as codependents, how we learn to let everybody else's voices be louder and our own internal voice and how so much of the work for codependents is learning to not only turn up the volume on their own internal voice, right? Like their intuition, but also listening to and then acting on that voice, which in itself is such an uncomfortable step. It sounds so easy to just say, listen to your gut, but that in itself is hard. And then, you know, compounded with then act on it is, is super challenging for a lot of people. Yeah. I felt so struck as we were talking to him, you know, something that I feel so often for all of us, right? That we have the answers within us if we mm-hmm. can just sort of learn to trust our voice versus all of right. the external voices. If we can learn to stay with ourself versus this sort of self-abandonment that we mm-hmm. often do, that we're sort of conditioned to do from a young age. But can I stay with what is true for me, how this feels for me versus what I think I should be or should do for other people? Right, right. Yeah. So again, it's like listening to it, but then it's also acting on it. Mm. <laughs> Absolutely. Which I, I do think is like, it's the heavy lifting of the work, right? It's like, we, of course we know it's in there, but can we actually do it? That's the work. Yeah. yeah. All right, guys. Hope you enjoy. Today we have Pat joining us. He wrote in to do one of our little 30-minute sessions to talk specifically about trauma bonding. Um, didn't give us much more info, but I'm curious to hear, you know, what, what's coming up for you, Pat, and, um, you know, why trauma bonding was, was a topic that you were interested in. Thanks for that. Um, you know, I think uh, for me, honestly, the, the thing that really sparked my interest in this podcast is, is that I've been following... John Kim for a little while, picked up his stuff on Instagram and, and thought he had some really good stuff. And, and so he, he posted about your podcast and, and the, the therapy that you guys do. And, and I, mm-hmm. I listened to the, uh, to the episode on healing and uh, how healing isn't linear. And, and so I was like, man, that episode, like, I don't know if you ever like watched a movie and you've seen a clip in the scene where like, it just kind of jumps into your soul, like resonates with you. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, this is so what I'm going through right now. And so, um, I, you know, as I was listening to that podcast and hearing about, you know, processing different emotions and insights into to that lady's story, I was like, I'm also wrestling through my own kind of current situations I'm going through right now where, you know, I had a, a, a 
a girl that I was, I was kind of seeing and, um, and, you know, um, I found out that she has a boyfriend and, uh, mm. so it was, um, you know, it was obviously hard to, hard to swallow and to really, uh, to, to process. And, and I've been doing that really over the past few weeks. And, you know, I've done, I've done therapy in the past and I've, I've done some recovery work in the 12 step programs. And so, uh, really wanted to talk about trauma bonds because I know I know John has has dealt with that um, in some of his podcasts as well and and so you know I'm just kind of looking at the way that I approach relationships right now and I look at my you know my family of origin and how I relate to my mother and really that's kind of the the dynamic that I bring into a relationship and I seek out emotionally unavailable women, women that aren't mm. available to me. And, uh, and, it, and it, of course, goes back to that pattern of how I related to my mom. And okay. so I've, you know, how trauma really gets into that is I've done a little um, reading into Patrick Carnes. He has a really great book called The Betrayal Bond, and he talks mm-hmm. a lot about trauma. And uh, he, he, he goes into a lot of thorough detail about the different kinds of trauma. But the part I really like particularly is where he talks about trauma can be a one-time event, but it can also be a recurring event that happens over right. and over and over again. And it really builds this, I guess, mnemonic pattern in your, in the way that you interact with others. And so as I've wrestled through that, and as I've also gone through my own kind of healing journey over the past five years, I find myself still attracted to some of those things that trigger the, the trauma in me from my childhood. And so mm-hmm. I just wanted to discuss that with y'all today. And really talk about how, you know, looking, having those kind of relationships can bring healing to you. Mm. And so um, that's really what I wanted to talk about this morning. Well, first off, you are so ahead of the game when it comes to being insightful. So I commend you for being kind of open. And it sounds like you've really done the work as far as digging in and like turning the mirror on yourself. So Mm. I just want to kind of put that out there and, and, name that you know because it's not easy to do and call it like it is and recognize those patterns and those familial bonds and that in itself is really hard for a lot of people right to even Mm -hmm. recognize especially the mother relationship it's really hard to be like oh shit this is this is actually something that i need to work through yeah 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 so unbelievably self-aware pat which is so often the first step i think in so much of our work just to recognize it and to vanessa's point some of the stuff that is so tender and so tough for most of us to look at is like those initial um, attachments, those initial relationships and where those wounds sort of occurred for all of us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I love, you know, so much of what you're talking about, I think is how we get into these areas of what initially attracts us to someone, right? Um, I think for so many of us, what we think of as the sparks and it just felt like magic from that moment when I met this person, oftentimes is actually um, what I hear you speaking to is, you know, the um, subconscious urge to try to heal something, right? Like what Mm -hmm. feels like, oh, it's like we've known each other for a lifetime is actually about this is like me dropping into something I've always known. Sometimes something that's been a little bit unhealthy is sometimes the things that have hurt me. Sometimes a little bit of repetition compulsion, a part of me that is trying to heal something that's been hurt, you know, over and over and over again, which I think you spoke to and I loved the way you spoke to it so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that repetition compulsion. That's such a good way to put it. 
what I've said before, um, I think probably to other clients, but also in, in other maybe episodes is that whenever we're in a relationship, there's not just two people in the room, there's four people in the room, right? So mm -hmm. there's the two conscious and then there's the two unconscious. And it's really the unconscious that are calling the shots. The idea of doing kind of self-betterment or self-discovery is that through that work, we start to make the unconscious conscious, right? Which is what mm -hmm. it sounds like you've actually been doing, which is great. It doesn't mean that if it's jump, the unconscious still isn't calling the shots or pulling the strings, which it potentially sounds like was the case in this last relationship. Sure. And I'm curious, you know, without getting, without keeping this conversation too heady and too kind of technical, I would like to know more about what it was that drew you to this woman um, and give us a little bit of like, you know, what was that feeling for you? And, and then I guess, what was the discovery for you? Like, you know, how did you discover it and, and how far in and, and some more details, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I've, I've known her now for about six months. I met her in the gym. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I think, I think context is really important, right? In this self-awareness that, that we bring, right? Knowing our context, knowing ourselves, mm -hmm. context being like where and where we are in our, our own life and kind of also the location and whatever, right? Because I think that connection is built around commonalities, Right. Um, obviously it sounds this way as well with like, you know, I've, I've heard the saying you attract who you are and where you are mm. in life. And it's interesting what you say about how that part is still there, but you become more aware of it. And so it's not like it goes away, right? It's not like you can right. undo it, but you become more aware and learn how to navigate around that. So, you know, with this girl, I was, uh, I, I met her at the gym and, and went up to her really quick and was just like, Hey, you know, how are you doing? And introduced myself and asked her a little bit about herself and it, we had a lot in common, you know, she's in medicine and I work in medicine and, you know, she has a faith and I have a faith and, you know, I work with a nonprofit that, that, that works with faith and whatnot. And, and uh, we both like to work out. And, uh, and so just kind of built some bonds really quick. I will say this, you know, I've, I've read in, in certain books that within like two to five minutes of meeting somebody, if you really pay attention to that, it can mm. show you everything you need to know about, that situation, right? If you know yourself and you know that person. So I was coming off of a, I would call it a miniature dating episode with, with another girl that I'd met. And so you could say that I was on a little bit of a rebound, right? And I was trying to act out or escape from those feelings and that rebound by meeting her. I'd say that was there. And then when I met her, you know, um, it was quick, it was rushed, which my understand addiction is always that way. There's a lot of intensity around that. Um, and I know that, you know, again, that, that goes back to triggers and intensity and trauma and addiction and all that stuff. And so, so I met her and, uh, I had this kind of, I don't, I don't know how to describe the feeling, but it was a feeling of fear, you know, maybe inside, like there was a little bit of a fear, but I kind of stuffed that away because I wasn't really dating anyways at that time. And so instead of really letting that guide my future actions, I thought, well, I'm, I'm going to work through my recovery program that I'm in and I'm going to become healthy and I'll be it because I'll be a little bit more self-aware and healthy then it'll be okay if I approach her and try to entertain some dating ideas and so about six months went by and I'd see her at the gym casually and I connected with her and developed this kind of a friendship relationship the, the whole time though you know still kind of ignoring those parts of me that had told me, Hey, watch out. You know, you got that like little spider sense that goes off, right? Mm -hmm. The little tingly, like, Hey, watch out, danger, 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 you know? And so I'd stuff that away 
Uh, and I thought because I was going so slow that it would be able to work itself out. And then, you know, in January, I, I connected with her again. I'd, I'd gone overseas on a trip in December and she knew about that. You know, we talked about it. And then in January, I came back and I showed her some photos of it. I saw her at the gym, right? We've been, had interactions at right. the gym off and on. And I, you know, I could sense that there was uh, uh, at least some intrigue there on her part, some interest. And so, uh, you know, at the end of January, I reached out to her and she invited me to do this workout class with her. And I went and attended it and told her the next time I saw her, I enjoyed it. Let's start doing that more often. And so we started to hang out more. Hang out, yeah. And we never really got into a relationship per se, right? Like I was going to ask her to start dating. She went on a vacation to Florida. I would say at the end of February, or she was supposed to. And then uh, my plan was to ask her to go. There's a rodeo that happens in Houston every year. Uh, It's like the biggest rodeo in America, I think. And I was going to ask her to that and try to, you know, advance the relationship more and and start dating. And then, you know, on, I guess, the Monday of her break, I walked into the gym. I'd finished my work really, really quick or, or, or soon that day. And I walked into the gym and and I saw her and she was in there with her boyfriend. Apparently he'd come down from Florida and mm. they were going to then go on this vacation together. And so I think that the signals that I was pushing aside because, you know, she's a physically attractive girl and mm-hmm. work out and we have a lot in common. And mm-hmm. she's also at a point in her career right now where it would be really hard to like date, you know, unless there's already something there. And, and so, you know, I just, I was, rationalizing it in my mind and saying, I don't need to listen to this, right? And it's going to be okay, right? Kind of like pulling a blanket over my head and saying, nah, let's just go with it, you know? And so- Well, that I think is interesting because it does feel like, so based on what you said in the beginning, but what I'm hearing now is that they're actually, your intuition was actually kind of pulling on your pant leg throughout this entire experience, right? And so there was actually a little part of the unconscious was showing up Mm -hmm. and your conscious was actually going, no, 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 shh, 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 shh no, sh- sh- stop, stop, stop pulling on my pant leg. Right. And so, I mean, I, you know, I don't want to put a um, kind of, I don't want to label, I guess something, but it does sound like you in this experience, listening to your intuition and listening to that gut would have probably landed you in a different situation. Right. Abs- I think so. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's, it is useful if we look at like, what are some tangible ways that we can sort of grasp onto how we do that? Cause we all right. do that, right? Like right. we're attracted to someone, we have these moments of like, you know, I always like to say like, that is your, like your North star, your compass, yep. like your instincts are good. Right. And then mm-hmm. to Vanessa's point, they were telling you and you sort of shushed them. Right. So what are the ways that we sort of shush our internal knowing? Right. I, I think sometimes that looks like I don't want to come on too strong. I don't want her to think that I'm like too needy. Um, I don't want, you know, like what are the ways that I start to push down what is coming up for me? I would imagine there were moments where she's like, I'm going to Florida and maybe it was vague, right? Um, there, There are ways that like, as we reflect back on things, I sort of, made my needs or what I was feeling smaller. I pushed down my needs. Mm-hmm. And I, um, you know, like one of my favorite phrases from 12 steps is, you know, if it's hysterical, it's historical, right? right. So Ooh, in like what that. ways have I sort of historically done that? How have I for a lifetime sort of pushed down how this felt for me? Like that's when we, we go inward and we sort of ask questions. When I feel myself making how this feels a little bit smaller for me, how have I done that consistently? 
how is this a pattern? Like, I think that's where we get in touch with the trauma bonds is like, where's this something that I've always done? You know, I feel some kind of way. I'd like to know a little bit more about what's going on in Florida with her because this somehow makes me feel uncomfortable, but I'm pushing down how this feels for me. I'm sure maybe this isn't new. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so that would be the next step, right? Would be check in with that to Danae's point and say, where else has this shown up? And actually ask mm-hmm. yourself that question. Then, and I was, I was actually just talking to a group last night about this. You know, it's, the work is 50% revelation and then 50% actually showing up and changing the action, changing the behavior, mm-hmm. right? And so with a lot of clients, I, I've said to them before, the actual change in behavior is so uncomfortable. I can't minimize how uncomfortable it actually is. It's when it's a real behavior change, right? So if it's like going against a lifetime of stuff, it's going to feel like you want to crawl out of your skin. Sure. So in that moment, let's say, you know, we are where we are now and that happened again. If in that moment to today's point, you thought, you know what, I want to actually ask her about this. I want to push this topic a little more. I want to find out more. But that part of you was like, no, no, no. That 50%, that growth is going, holy shit, this is super uncomfortable, but I'm going to do it anyway. Right. And so, you know, it's like, if you were Pat, if Pat was like now, right, who you are, knowing what you know, I wonder how it would have been different. Yeah. And I think that's honestly the conversation I've been having in some of my recovery groups. And I've really been mm-hmm. trying to look at this through the lens of a higher power or, you know, some the spiritual guidance and saying, okay, so, and, and honestly, you know, looking at every opportunity, and I think this is part of the strength of some of the recovery work that I've done. I think, I think John says this, he says, Growth happens when we're able to look at an event through a different lens, mm-hmm. right? There's some kind of post he made the other day about that. The lens is now, how can I benefit from this? Or what can this teach me about myself that I can work on and grow through, right? And so what you're talking about with being, I don't say confrontational, but, but being more open, being more candid with insight is, is, mm-hmm. is an area where I've struggled. And of course, I, you know, we can go back to family of origin issues. My dad was very passive and he didn't speak up. And my mom was, you know, emotionally abusive and verbal and all that. And so probably there's some part of me that in my, in my psyche learned that if the woman is mad, right, then, or, or, or if there's some kind of like challenge that could happen, then just don't, right. And it's going to mm-hmm. be a so don't ask, cool. don't tell type of a thing. And so, but also, you know, John talks about being in touch with your authentic self and being true to yourself, right? Not being mm-hmm. part of that, not, not caring for that part of you that's, that's the false self, right? And so mm-hmm. like, that's part of the, I think the, the growth opportunity here with this, right? Is learning how I can right. be more direct and open and it's scary, right? Yes. Like it's, 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 it's terrifying, it's horribly scary. You, you just named it. It's, this is why I say the action feels so uncomfortable. It literally feels like you're going to come out of your skin is because you are going against survival skills that you've learned. Mm-hmm. And this doesn't have to show up just in romantic relationships. You at some point learned that speaking up was dangerous, right? Because if, if mom was emotionally abusive, that is actually, especially to a child, we're talking survival, right? So it's not just probably with this girl that this has shown up for you. Like where else in your life have you pushed down your intuition and what felt not right to you, those spidey senses, to your point, putting words to that, no, I'm not going to do that because that feels dangerous. Yeah, because if you think about it in the context of where that is first learned, you know, a baby in the stage that Vanessa has a baby right now, like 
your mother is survival, right? Like Mm -hmm. it is that real, like it's annihilation anxiety. Like if this person does not care for me, if I do not have that attachment, that love, I will die. die. That person is my survival, right? So that is how our brain is wired to understand survival is through that bond. And if how I maintained love with that initial caregiver is, you know, if I have a need, I push it down so that, you know, she doesn't feel activated by my emotion or whatever I'm experiencing, then that becomes like my first response. That's just like how I react in the world. That's how I get love. Yeah. That's in my head. That's how I assume, or I know that I get love, right? Maintain love, right? Like that's how I keep it is by not speaking to what's coming up for me. Yeah. And so this is, this is like one little snippet of me that I'm, I think I'm really exploring in this time. And I'm grateful Mm -hmm. in some ways for this time that we have during this crisis, because I'm able to Mm -hmm. really reflect more and spend time looking at this. There's other parts of my, dis, you know, dysfunctional upbringing where, you know, I'm the oldest child. And so I was mm-hmm. the hero child is what they said. And so I was always trying to fix everything. And yep. so I, I have, you know, patterns with, I mean, that's, that's run rampant before where I will try to, you know, stalking becomes something right where I try to earn the love because it takes me back to my mom and trying to check on her mm-hmm. and make sure everything's okay and make sure that all the things are all right. And the fright that's, that's played itself out. That's another part yeah. of the pattern. And I would say that I'm actually gotten a lot better with that because I haven't reached out to this girl. I haven't made any attempt. I've wanted to, you know, I've wanted to try to call her and see how she's doing because the, mm. the stars are aligning, right? Because she's mm. in healthcare and it's a crisis and I'm in this nonprofit where, you know, there's some ministerial aspect to it. And so it's like mm. perfect stars, right? But I've chosen not to, it's been, and that's been that uncomfortable part that you're talking about going against my survival skills or whatever. Right. And so but this is another area that I get to look at with that as well. Yeah. And what I think you're speaking to is so beautifully, Pat, is that like a lot of times if what we have learned in terms of trauma bonding is mm-hmm. sort of that um, codependent, I'm okay if you're okay, right? Mm-hmm. If that is sort of the way that we operate, our work becomes, can I sit in the discomfort that Vanessa is talking about sort of and self-soothe and take care of myself through the discomfort of, I don't know if you're okay. And I can't fix you not being okay, mm-hmm. right? Like, so, so I got to stay with myself right now. I can't mm-hmm. abandon myself in this moment to sort of tend to you. I got to stay with me. It's right, just because, what we, it, because we know that by, it, like, if you were to reach out, that's actually just you soothing your own anxiety. Mm-hmm. Sure. Right. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. I, I, I love that because it helps to put clarity around what's going on, right? Right. Uh, talk to another one of my friends and he's like what are the feelings beneath the action right like and where does that come up in your life and elsewhere kind of like what you're talking about going back and looking at these patterns and stuff understanding the 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 what behind the mm-hmm. or the the why behind the what right helps to kind of be more rational about the decisions mm. that I'm going to make well, and I think that's really important for a lot of us to understand, right? So people who are out there listening, it's like, it doesn't have to be this exact same story or this specific instance that you're talking to. But I think a lot of times we have to look at the, like you said, the what, the why behind the what, the why so many times in our actions and in our behaviors is really a self-soothing of anxiety. It is a self-soothing of our discomfort, right? And so when we're able to see that and we're able to go, oh shit, okay, that's why I'm doing that. And I say that because a lot of codependent work to, to talk about like what Danae's talking about is the uncomfortable mirror turn 
where we go, oh, I'm doing this actually not for this person. Mm -hmm. I'm actually doing this for myself, mm -hmm. right? And so it's really hard, I think, in a lot of codependent recovery, you know, as somebody who's done the Al-Anon steps, mm -hmm. um, to sit with this like, oh shit, this is actually about me. Oof, right? And there's an oof right. to that because you think you've got yourself convinced that you're actually doing it for the other person. So even when you go back to mom, now look, we're not blaming that childhood version of you. You did this for survival, but the reality is you were doing those things for mom in a lot of ways for your own survival, right? And so that's where it's learned. Yeah, I was trying to prove to myself that I was worthy of love. Yeah. Lovable. By trying to, yeah. Yeah, that was lovable. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And so I feel like it, it becomes like, how do I turn that around? and make it for myself, you know? Like how do I prove to myself that I am lovable in these moments that I stay with me? I become that caretaker. I become that person that I know that I can depend on because I will inevitably stay with myself in these moments. I think um, a resource actually that I wanna give you um, if you don't already know of her or of this work, Tara Brock, who is a you know Buddhist psychologist, she has this term that I've used many times and that I love. She talks about it a lot in her podcast and her books called Spiritual Reparenting. Mm. And she talks about how so much of this work is exactly that. It is us spiritually reparenting ourselves. So mm -hmm. to Danae's point, it is how if I in this moment could have that parent that I needed, that I really all of us needed, right? That quote unquote perfect parent. In this moment, what would that parent actually say to me or do for me to help soothe me and, and help make sure that I understand that I am worthy? And then how can I do that for myself? You know, what does that look like? What does that sound like? And sometimes it feels silly, but I love the phrase spiritual reparenting because it really is, it's us learning to reparent ourselves and give ourselves those gaps or that holes that we didn't get from our primary caretaker. Yeah, I love that. I think that's that's so great, you know, and I've done some work in that. I think that, you know, what you're saying about the spiritual reparenting and kind of right, writing affirmations, telling yourself it's going to be okay. I, you know, even going back to those younger versions of me and, mm -hmm. and really looking at that and saying, hey, listen, you know, you were doing the best you could with what you had. And so were they. And really yes. practicing some forgiveness and letting some of those things go while also building, I don't know, maybe a new framework into right. the way that I look at and understand those parts of me so that I can live out of that now, that healthier sense of self than that subconscious kind of brokenness that mm. has defined a lot of the way that I've interacted. I'm going to give you a yes and. Okay. It's okay to look at the fact that you also hurting and right. that you're struggling that all part of you feels unlovable, unworthy, right? So I do think sometimes it's dangerous in this world that we get ourselves to of, of this self-betterment journey where we tend to say, but look at it through this framework, look through this positive lens. Those are all true. Yes. And it still hurts. Mm -hmm. That part of me still feels unloved. That child, that childhood version of me is still coming up and, and wants to cry, right? Or whatever that is. And sometimes I think it is hard for many of us to say that too, because those things are all true. Mm -hmm. Those things are all true, right? Both exist at the same time. And I feel like what I'd love to add, just in terms of what you said, Pat, that I thought was really powerful is the thing that I think is useful about going back to when I was young 
into those moments, like stepping into those moments. And even, you know, you spoke to sort of showing some compassion to your parents. I think that is also a part of reparenting because we mm-hmm. are able to sort of humanize the moment and see that human beings raise human beings. Mm-hmm. They didn't necessarily have all the tools that they needed for you. And, and then it becomes a little bit like I can hold it differently in that it wasn't actually about me. Mm-hmm. It was about what they didn't have or what mm-hmm. they were trying to soothe or what they, you know, were activated right. by in raising a child. So I love that, that aspect of reparenting that you brought up as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and uh, you know, uh, Vanessa, to your mm-hmm. point, yes, and I, I, you know, and 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 it kind of this kind of brings it back to the podcast that I was listening to the other night, where the healing isn't linear, and mm-hmm. you really hit on that, you know, that with with the lady who was going through this process of healing, and you were letting her know it's okay to feel your feelings, it's okay to process those feelings, and it's okay right where you are. Mm-hmm. to be where you are, to be in the moment, right? Because they, I guess they say you got to feel them to heal them, right? Mm-hmm. Or you got to go through it to heal it. And that it's it's not, you know, it's not the same for everybody, right? It's not a formulaic thing because we're all right. so different. And so I just love what you're talking about with being okay with, with where you are in your feelings, mm-hmm. showing compassion to yourself and accepting yourself right where you are right now. I just, I love that because I think it helps me to just feel comfortable or be at peace with, you know, the whole process of healing, knowing that it's not a destination, it's a journey that we're on. Well, the whole process of us, it helps us feel better with the process of us. We are messy. Mm -hmm. We are complicated. We are Mm -hmm. multifaceted, right? There is no right way. There is no right way to look or to act or to feel. It just is what it is. Like you said, we're all different, right? And it's not, there's no wrong or right. Based on what I'm hearing and where you're at in your journey, I think some people you might be interested in like looking into following, maybe reading some of their stuff. I think you would really benefit actually from more of Tara Brock, Jack Kornfield. A lot of Buddhist psychology really focuses specifically on this area that we're talking about right now. And it is about not just spiritual reparenting, but it's about allowing and acceptance, right? And I think that that is something that's really difficult for many of us. And so much of what I see, I actually wrote a whole piece about this where I talk about the the danger of false positivity and spiritual bypassing, which mm-hmm. is like, you know, I can look at it through this frame and it's all positive and it's teaching me. Like, that's why I say yes and. Yes, but we can't forget that it's really important to sit in the shittiness, <laughs> It's not to dwell. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just to, to be real, right? Because you can't skip over that stuff. Right. And you probably know this more than anybody from your work that you've done in recovery. If you skip over it, you're not actually healing it. No. You're stuffing it out of the bed. Right, right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and I think one of the most powerful things we learn in recovery work is that, you know, all feelings are welcome, that feelings are actually meant to be felt, all of them, because I don't think that's something societally that we are taught, right? Like there are feelings that we should feel, and these are the positive feelings, and there are feelings that we either need to stuff or get rid of or medicate as quickly as possible. But, you know, all of them, like the full range of the experience of being human is what we want to welcome into the room. Mm-hmm. Even that anxiety that we try to soothe by reaching out to somebody, seeing how mm-hmm. they are, checking in on them, right? That's a feeling that is worthy of being felt. And that feels like that's what you're doing right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is, this has all been really beneficial, you know, and, and I've obviously played the tape out in my head of what's going to happen if I see this girl again and, and mm-hmm. you know, what, what's that interaction going to look like? And I know that that's about control, you know, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, like trying to control an outcome. And 
I don't know that that's really the healthiest place to be either. I think that some of the advice that I've gotten is to sit in the present and let today be today. Mm-hmm. And if that happens, to trust that when it, it when it does, you'll you'll be ready for it, whatever it right. looks like, you know. And so it's it's hard because I am a I you know I am controlling and codependent and all that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. But it's where I've tried to come back to try to come back to the present to today. I want to reframe that for you as we as we close up because okay. I think it's really important for us. And I'm I, I'm working on this myself too because I always talk about that I'm a codependent as well. I think it's really important in our language to start saying I have controlling tendencies. I have okay. codependent tendencies, not I am controlling. Yep. Right. Because yeah. you're not controlling. The controlling is a behavior you learn as survival, mm-hmm. and you're working to unlearn some of those behaviors. Mm-hmm. So I think it's important for all of us to start to like change the language that we use about ourselves. Cause mm-hmm. I, and I, and I do the same thing. So I'm, I'm there with you on that, but I catching yourself in the moment of when you're, whether it's verbally out loud saying it or actually in your head saying it and going, Whoa, Whoa, I'm not controlling. I have some controlling shit that I'm working on for sure. I think that can be really powerful. And I think it's also really useful to remember that, you know, one of the things I think you brought into the conversation, Pat, is how much when you were sort of reflecting back on your instincts and your intuition, like your instincts are really good. Like Mm -hmm. if you are still, when you are with yourself, you know, right? Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. I actually, I have all the answers within me. I just need a little bit more to tap into self-trust and and that, that sense of knowing that's already there. Thank you so much for, this is actually a topic that so many people are going to benefit from. And I think that it yeah. was, it's, it's really helpful, you know, to, to put name, put words to stuff. And so, yeah, I just want to say thank you, because I think that was powerful. Absolutely. I'm glad I could be on and, and uh, appreciate what you, you all are doing. And I continue to follow you and mm. it helps me too. So thanks. Thanks for what you're doing as well. That's, that's a lot of value to my life. I'll take care. All right. Right? Hey. Be well. Bye, Pat. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to connect with us, you can find us on Instagram at Vanessa S. Bennett and at Danae Logan Selkin.